You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's episode of The Science of Storytelling, I'm chatting with Denise Burrell-Stinson. Denise is the head of WP Brand Studio at The Washington Post. We chat about how the pandemic has completely changed the way we collaborate both as teams and with clients, why editorial and branded content are actually more the same than they are different, and the importance of keeping an open mind. If you like this episode, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Now, enjoy the show. Denise, welcome to the show. It is so great to be here. I'm very much a fan of this podcast series. I've been listening to a lot of other great leaders and thought leaders and experts in conversation with you. And so I'm just really quite honored to now sort of be among them uh, and get to talk to you myself. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you here. So we're, I mean, we're in the throes of a pandemic. There was just an election that recently happened that you know, one side is still contesting in various ways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where are you? Where are you right now? Where are you physically located right now? So I am the head of the brand studio at the Washington Post. So our HQ is right in the heart of DC, right on K Street. But actually, if we were in an office right now, I'd be working out of the New York City office. So me and most of my team are based out of New York. Uh, but of course, we have several you know, critical seats, especially in like performance and analytics that are sitting in D.C. We're truly able to, one, you know, be in the heart of media in New York, but also really, uh, you know, have strong representation on our on our home turf. Uh, so it's a really just nice mix geographically in terms of our expertise in terms of our teammates, and really helps us work well together. Now that we are remote, we've been remote, I guess, wow, are we up to about eight months right now? So sometimes I like to think, or on the days when I'm trying to uh, say that this is a really, you know, still a, a productive way to work, I think, well, you know what, when you are in a brand like the the Washington Post and WP Brand Studio, you know, and we were sort of covering a lot of geographic territory anyway, we had already been sort of primed and ready and, and experts at making these types of long distances work, uh, where the distance doesn't necessarily uh, impinge upon creative collaboration. So yeah, we are in month eight now. I am still in New York City, haven't really gone too far, you know, and just trying to make it work every day. And really, uh, as I said, keep up the sense of collaboration, keep up the sense of support. I think in an industry like ours, it is so much driven by ideas, just the chemistry that you tend to get in person and just whiteboarding and moving through conference rooms and getting coffee and really all this just sort of great friction and energy that comes out of that in-person collaboration uh, really working hard to keep it going and not feel like our sort of virtual connection now really reduces that level of collaboration and creativity in any way. And then, of course, just the support element and saying, you know, as we try and sort of make these new ways of working work, that for me, at least, knowing that that the team and everyone I work with has a strong advocate in me in just kind of doing what it takes to to keep the work going to keep the productivity going and just make everyone feel really good about the way that we're, we're working now. Yeah. There's, you know, I've noticed this too. We're, we're eight months into this. There was, you know, the honeymoon period of remote working. I think when this first all happened back in March, everyone bound together, we work from home, but people knew each other already. There was already 
relationships formed with clients, with your internal team. It's interesting to see how it's easier to move remote when you already know the team member that you're working with and you've spent a lot of time with them in person. Do you have any, have you had any new people over this eight months that maybe you have never even met in person? I'm so glad you asked that. We have actually had the opportunity to onboard a couple of new people during this work remote time. And and I mean, I'm not going to lie. First is we are so grateful that we were just able to onboard really talented, great people, right? So once you, you know, screen them and talk to them and really find that right fit for your team, then it's, you know, wanting to make them feel comfortable as soon as possible, really wanting to, them to get up and running on, on the work and get into that daily groove and build the relationships and understand the processes and know the people, which, you know, I'm, I'm famous for just, you know, you trade one email, you trade one Slack, you trade a couple messages and like, boom, I'm up out of my seat. You know, I'm just leaning over the desk, wanting to just kind of talk it out, uh, really get that additional context and color sometimes by just, you know, having a live, having a live conversation. I personally am really into just like the really kind of organic, you know, conversation and, and laughing and kind of, you know, I linger in a conference room as someone else comes in. And before you know it, you know, for 15 or 20 minutes, we're just brainstorming on a really cool idea. So I, I feel like not only the quality of my work, but actually a lot of my career really, and the progress I've made in, in my career has been built on that ability to connect with people personally, you know, and when you see that laugh, when you see that eyebrow raise, you know, when you see someone really engaged in an idea, having those in-person cues to, to, to go off of. Now, as part of a team like WP Burn Studio and onboarding, you know, new people, how do you get that chemistry? I mean, chemistry is so much about what we do. And especially, again, like when the level of talent and creativity is so high, how do you just start to empower them and kind of tease that great work out of them, like right off the bat? Um, and it's probably one of the most challenging things that I've, that I've ever done is to, you know, build creative chemistry and a sense of collaboration and a sense of, you know, our newer teammates really feeling like they're part of just a great culture without ever having been in the same room with them. Do you know what I mean? Without ever having seen them in any other context besides on a, you know, on a Zoom screen or on, or on a conference call. Um, so it's just not native to the way I work, but it's something that I've had to not even double down on, but like triple down on just because, you know, that sense of feeling a part of things that comes with onboarding is actually, you see it play out in the work. So we need that comfort level immediately so that the work is always of a high quality. So just as a teammate, as a manager, as someone who just really loves, again, like organic in-person collaboration, this is really uh, testing me in a great way. I feel like I've grown in in leaps and bounds, uh, but it's something that I really, really have to focus on and and. I just don't want anyone to get lost in the sort of virtual shuffle. I don't want myself to get lost in the virtual shuffle. Yeah, no, you, you have to be quite intentional about it very, rather than... Very intentional. You probably have never really thought about it before, like the way that you form these personal relationships. You just walk over to someone's desk, you chat with them, there's body language, there's you have time to chat about how their day was going, what life's like at home. And then it's a lot different when what you have is a Zoom call because, you know, there's no... 
you don't have to set aside an agenda when you're talking to someone in person. Hi, we're going to go through the following things. Whereas you do in these in these set meetings, right? Well, yeah. I, I mean, how how many times would I be leaving the office? You know, I end up in the elevator with someone. Then we walk to the subway together. You know, and, and I'm not only learning something about them personally. You know, I'm getting to see them in different contexts other than work. Uh, you know, we might be relaxing and just having, you know, maybe a funnier, lighter conversation. But that's a critical part of relationship building so that, you know, when we're back at the office and back at work and back in the conference room, you know, or pitching to a client, you know, together or going in market, you know, with 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 ideas that that, you know, we've, we've laid a foundation that was about something more than the work itself, and then actually came from unstructured conversation, right? So now we're sort of in an era where like every conversation is structured. So, you know, if you just want to check in with someone and say hello, it's like, hey, can I send you a Zoom link? And it just sounds so sort of like, you know, just kind of stiff and, and uh, you know, and, and just not like the looseness that you might want to, you know, convey is, is not there. So sometimes there's this kind of built-in formality to saying, you know, hey, can I can I call you? Can I send you a Zoom link? You know, can I get you for 15 minutes to just talk something through? It has this uh, sometimes this sort of built-in or automatic uh, sort of formalness where people aren't sort of always arriving to the conversation as relaxed as they might be. And, and sometimes you do really need to arrive to a certain conversation, really ready to speak or engage in a certain way that may be more formal, uh, you know, or not be as familiar. But sometimes you just want to be able to, you know, to, to talk to someone or connect with them and really approach it, you know, with your shoulders down a little bit more. How do I foster that? I'm trying to be, I love the word use, intentional about it. I don't know that that I've perfected it, but I'm just I'm, I'm giving it my all. I'm I'm trying so 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 hard, um, and I just I don't think I'm alone in this. I mean, I think that there's actually a sense of community uh, that's kind of built around trying to make this way of working work. So I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna keep at it. The work is not slowing down. The pace and sort of the expectations of the level of deliverables that we are on the hook for are are as as numerous as they've ever been. So just to keep up with that pace, again, you know, make use of all the great talent that that we have in house is it's as much as part of my day as you know getting to any other call on time or getting any other deliverable out on time. Um, but building a sense of virtual community, creativity, and collaboration—it's a job now. It's not just something that happens on the side, but like building culture in a virtual um, building culture when we're working virtually, it is it is something I, I believe that we just really have to commit to if it's going to work for the long term. And there's the, you know, working with your teammates and onboarding. But you know what people haven't talked, I haven't heard people talk that much about is the change in the relationship with the client. So you're working on branded content that doesn't pitch well in an Excel spreadsheet. Like you're talking about creative concepts and look and feel. And there's a lot of you know, nuanced conversation there that doesn't say we're going to get 10,000 people to read this article, it's 900 words. So how has the client relationship or client pitch changed? I mean, I'm, I'm someone who's on a lot of, of client pitches. And I have to say, I, I like them. I like coming up with ideas and then advocating for those ideas and advocating and saying that the Washington Post and WP Brand Studio 
you know, for, for our clients and, and our partners, that partnership with us just has value. It has results. And it's just, I don't know, there's something so compelling, I, I, I think, and engaging about the types of, of messaging that, that we create. So in terms of being an advocate and an ambassador for that, I mean, that is probably just one of the greatest parts of my job to go to people and potential partners and say, the Washington Post and WPN studio is where you should be. So for me, like, I always want that passion to be just palpable and sort of really easy to, to plug, plug into. So again, I think I have to be more intentional about it, you know, when it's, when it's virtual. You know, I, I don't get to sit side by side with a potential partner, with a, you know, or with a client, you know, and we're in a conference room together and we're sitting in in chairs or we might go out to dinner or lunch or something, or even to just, you know, maybe walk around them on a tour of the, the office or, you know, something, that type of connection. It really is sort of screen to screen. So I think, again, when it comes to advocating for, for ideas and just my own personal level of passion and commitment uh, to what I get to do every day. You know, if it's not coming through virtually on a Zoom, tell me, because like, I'm going to find another way to make it work. <laughs> you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to know. But again, that that level of in, intentionality is something that I think about um, all the time and just prepping. I, I mean, I, I think there's another funny thing. So it, it's sort of about the, the the level of advocacy and and of of ideas and passion for creativity, but sometimes it's also just like, are all the bells off of my you know of of my laptop? Have I disabled all the you know the 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 clicking and the and and the pinging? You know, making sure that I focus. Sometimes I can you know be in the middle of a day, really wanting to connect, um, you know, with a potential partner. And I don't want to be, you know, looking at my phone or different screens or being distracted. Uh, you know, I really want to be focusing on them and, and, and really digging into the, the, the art of listening. So I think also just, um, different types of distractions that, that can happen, um, you know, that, that can happen virtually. And just also, it's funny when, when I'm sitting here in my chair or at my desk or at my, my laptop, the, the sort of radius of my work is, 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 is not large right now. It's sort of, you know, right, right in my apartment, but the level of distraction that that can happen, I think because we're all, you know, virtual right now when every email means something and every Slack message means something and every phone call or every text message, you know, there's so many different ways to uh, sometimes we need to divert our attention or send our attention into many different directions just to stay caught up with the sort of day-to-day, uh, you know, our, our day-to-day tasks and all the, you know, the messages and, and, and the meetings. So really, you know, finding a, a way to set those boundaries when it's needed. You know, if you're lucky enough to get that 45 minutes uh, to really talk through an idea with, uh, you know, with with a client or, or that hour, you know, where they've got, you know, their, their, their best brains, you know, uh, ready to talk to you and, and, and spend time with you. How do you make it really and reassure them that the time is precious really, and, and that you're, you're, you're really focused. So that's also something that I'm extremely, extremely um, cognizant of and never want anyone to feel that, you know, my sort of eyes or ears are going in any other direction except, you know, right to, right to them. 
Well, I think it's really easy to do a lot of things at once when you're sitting on a laptop and you have two screens open and you've got 14 tabs. You feel like you're, wow, I'm doing so much work, but you're breaking it up into these pieces. You're probably not. I'm not the best at focusing on more than one thing at once. I'm really good at <laughs> focusing on one thing. You can ask my wife or my kids about that. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see that there's, you have to really think through Okay, I've got not only for yourself, so I'm going to pay attention to this client while I'm pitching. I'm not going to do anything else. But how do I make sure that they're paying attention to me? We have a limited amount of time on the schedule here. I have a lot of ideas I'm trying to get across. You're a creative person. I know that from uh, your background. And I'm curious, how how did you end up in the job that you're in? So I'm picturing like 10-year-old Denise. <laughs> She's saying, you know what, I'm going to be like the Washington Post is my thing. I'm going to be the head of the branded content studio. Like what was, what, what did 10 year old Denise think she was going to do? Okay. I'll, I'll tell you the, the last thing, and this is sort of a weird way to start this off. The last thing I, that 10 year old Denise ever said was that I would be in branded content at the Washington Post, like never crossed my mind, never happened. Like wasn't a thing. You know, when, when I was little, I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't stop reading. You know, I, I just couldn't stop picking up things to like stimulate my my mind, and and just picking up you know magazines and and, and books and, and like you know I remember sitting on the subway with my mom and just telling my mom I'm like I can read every you know every sign and every advertisement on the subway like I, I can read it so I just just a real appetite for that constant sort of stimulation that came from from the written word and so for a long time I didn't know how that would kind of manifest or what what it might be in terms of a career but I just loved writing and I loved reading and I loved words and I loved speaking from just the time that I could do all of those things so you know just just curiosity sort of always leading in me always leading me in that direction and then you know through high school and in college I you know when people started to ask me more pointed questions uh, about career, I said magazines. I mean, it's just like, that was it. Like I was going to work in a magazine. I was going to be an editor at a magazine, you know? And these were the days when like those big print magazines, like when September issues of like fashion magazines would come out and they were like, you know, two inches thick and hundreds of pages. And I said, that, that's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to be an editor. It's going to be photo shoots and, and, and writing and, you know, and, and just great articles and, you know, or even books. But, I, I really gravitated towards magazines. When I started to look for jobs in magazines, it was really hard. I think one of the sort of the, the, the great reckonings of, of, of my career when I was really young was that the distance from sort of career dream to kind of career reality can be short. Sometimes it can be kind of long and, and difficult. And the universe, for whatever reason, put me on the slightly longer, a little bit more challenging, difficult path. Uh, but I think the good thing about it is, was that I, I found that there were so many other ways to write or so many other ways to be creative or so many other ways to sort of tap that part of my brain that was about words and storytelling and really communicating information that moved people and that started, you know, and that, that got them thinking. So I worked at, you know, different magazines I worked in public relations. I worked in nonprofits. You know, I really sort of touched on a lot of different um, 
industries. And then I worked in, in media. I worked at a big television. Um, I worked at a big television corporation. And then, you know, that was about the time when, when did that happen? I'm going to date myself, so I might not say the year, but, you know, it was during a recession. So I, so I became a casualty of sort of an economic downturn and found myself with, without a job. And so what I did was I, I, I went to graduate school, which was a lot, which was the thing that a lot of people did at that time. But it was really one of the best things I ever did to kind of retreat a little bit from day to day work, go back into an academic environment. And it didn't just help me reset creatively. I started to develop much better work habits, much better um, commitment to creativity and not thinking that it was something that sort of happened, but that it was something that I needed to make happen, um, you know, through, again, that word you use, more intentionality in terms of, you know, commitment to reading a certain way, writing a certain way, communicating with, 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 with better clarity and getting feedback. So I, I think also when I went to uh, graduate school, I would be in these workshops and, and you would have to send your writing out to your workshop classmates and sit there for an hour while they, um, while they discussed my writing and not say anything. So to really be humbled by, by feedback and listening to, uh, you know, a sort of very critical breakdown of my work, it taught me a lot the value of, of listening. It taught me a lot the value of editing and saying that every piece of work, no matter how good it is at the outset, could benefit from further refinement, could benefit from a different set of eyes or just some, some new input that could help me see things and, and, and tune into things that I could do more of, that I could do less of to, to make it better. So really the development of those work habits, the development of better listening, um, and, and just the, the development of, of just taking a, I, I think, more methodical, intelligent approach to, to creativity. The habits that came out of that, I, I really think helped sort of set me on an important um, 2.0, an important 2.0 track. Um, and then, you know, I went back into the, the, the job market, went back into media, still, you know, was doing a lot of magazines, but that was at a moment where like magazines and, and web were sort of trying to find out, um, or at least refine their relationship. And I said, you know what, it, it's just, I've got to go more digital. You know, I really felt that digital was where I needed to be. And I also started to really have an appetite for startups. And I didn't know if I really wanted to be at a startup or if I wanted the culture of a startup or if I wanted to be in an environment that had just, you know, a little bit of chaos in it because I could, you know, sort of help bring structure uh, uh, to that chaos. And then <laughs> honestly, the, the universe then brought me branded content, which really turned out to be the answer to that. And that I, I had a friend who was in like an exercise class uh, with an editorial director at a brand of content studio at another major publisher. I'm not going to mention the major publisher, but it was a major publisher. Um, and, and they connected and he, he, he told her that he was, you know, building on a team and she gave me a referral. And then that became my first job that, that referral turned into a job. And it really turned out to be in terms of brand and content, really what I was looking for. It had, you know, the industry was just picking up steam. Major publishers were just starting to open um, these, 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 these content studios. 
And there was sort of like this beautiful level of, of chaos, this kind of startup feel of, you know, us discovering something new every day and having really big ideas and not always knowing how we were going to make those ideas, but then somehow we, we we brought them to life. And I really, really, really just love that. The team that I was part of was really just solid and, and supportive. Uh, we were all sort of embarking on this new thing together. And so there was a really strong sense of community. And even in those moments where like, we didn't know always what we were doing, we just kept doing it. And really great things started to happen. And we started to make things and reach people and shift perception. You know, and this was also at a time when a lot of people were skeptical about brand and content and said, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to take advantage of readers. You're trying to fool an audience. What you're doing is, is, is not right. And I brought a little bit of skepticism to it too, but then as we made more and more things and just create, and not just on the teams that I want, but I started to see this across the industry as well. It was like, no, you can just tell great stories or make great videos or take great photos or talk to really smart people, you know, or talk to the, the, the experts and the thought leaders. And it's just good content and it's just a good story. And no matter who makes it, if you're on the, you know, the editorial side, or if you're on the branded content side, if you work in the service of serving readers and serving your audience with the best information that you can and the most engaging storytelling that you can, you are doing something to be proud of. And opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to work with great companies and great brands and tell great stories, it just really picked up a lot of momentum for me. And I thought, wow, I don't know how I ended up here. You know, I might have tripped and, and fallen or zigged and zagged to get here. But maybe this is maybe this is it. I've been in this industry for about five years now. And uh, I, I, I still I'm still surprised every day. I still feel like a, a moment of just the energy and momentum having run out hasn't happened yet. I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. You know, certainly in the year like 2020, like everyone else, we've been challenged um, and I had to rethink the way we thought so many things were going to go. We've had to rethink them. But just the sense of it being sort of the challenges being new and the successes being new and that being the right amount of encouragement to take on the next challenge, to go in search of the next, uh, next success. I'm so energized um, and, and, and so motivated. And the people that I've continued to meet and the, the brands and the companies that I've been able to, to, to work with, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just so motivated and, and, and the passion that I just bring is, is so unbelievably like authentic. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. There's something really, I really like something that you're talking about, uh, which is probably the reason I got into branded content. I mean, I started a company specifically in branded content, 
about seven years ago, I was like the 10 year old version of me did want to be in marketing. I liked the show called Who's the Boss? I wanted to be Angela Bauer off of Who's the Boss? She was the head of an ad advertising agency. And so I, I always wanted to be in marketing. I never thought I'd be, I actually never thought I'd be close to the editorial side of media. I, I never thought like that never crossed my mind. I was never going to be a journalist or a reporter. But what I see is, I mean, if you talk to a journalist and then you talk to someone in branded content studio, often they'll talk about how different they are from each other. But, but if you look at it, both have almost the exact same principles, which is, hey, we're going to create something really interesting. We're going to serve the audience of this piece and we're going to make it come across in the best way possible. I think of it sometimes in the way, like how close editorial and branded content are in their belief systems is a bit like, you know how religions often will talk about, you know, how different a Muslim might be than a Christian, but in the grand scheme of things, is very, very close. Some of the people that we talk about are different. My, one of my sisters is Catholic. I'll talk to her, I'm like, do you know how close Catholicism and, and being Muslim is to each other compared to like atheism, let's say, right? It, there's this interesting thing about how close, and I, I've talked to a lot of people in branded content teams that come from journalism, from writing, from editorial, because the skill set is as valued in a branded content team as it is on the edit side of there. I'm curious if you have, you know, a campaign. Sometimes it's nice to put this idea of branded content into something we can picture. Often I'll talk to people outside of the industry and they'll be like, what is it? And I'll be like, oh, it's, you know, an advertiser is involved in it. And then they're like, Hmm, can you just give me an example of what that would be? So I'm, I'm wondering if you have any programs that you're specifically proud of or, or that are top of mind for you right now. Okay. So I'm just going to jump back a little bit to something you were saying before, you know, why you found in sort of your brand content travels that you run into a lot of people who've come out of newsrooms, come out of a journalism background. I feel like if you were in a content studio and, and you know, and you're in a publisher content studio, you shouldn't be there unless you believe in what your newsroom is doing, right? Because ideally what should be happening is that content studio should have a set of values and an approach and an ethos that starts in that newsroom. Now, church-state divide, yes. We're not talking about crossing a church-state divide in terms of you know, not disclosing that it's advertising or not disclosing that it's branded content. I'm talking about a shared set of values. So when you look at that newsroom, you know, if you work in branded content and, and see what's happening there and just the rigor and the thought and the analysis and the commitment and the accountability that is coming out of that newsroom, that is like your North Star, right? So you should be trying to do, not only support that, uh, you know, when you're on the, on, on the content marketing side, but also just, you know, really kind of making sure that that DNA flows right through you and flows right through your work. So I think a lot of times people that come from a journalism background or writing background have a really keen sense of what those, those newsroom values are and why they matter and how much they can make a difference in, in storytelling. Now, times where I've seen that, that sort of that shared value, that shared set of values and, and, and that approach play out in, in content that I've worked on. There was a uh, piece that I worked on with Optum and we, uh, 
did an extremely comprehensive piece, truly multimedia piece, about the opioid crisis. And this was at a time where, you know, the opioid crisis still still very much something, you know, that we as a society are, are challenged by. Um, at this point, it was really dominating, I mean, dominating headlines for everything from like the policy angle to the sort of human toll and tragedy. And that partnership focused on, I, I, I think, just a, a kind of storytelling that one uh, saw something that was happening in our news cycle and in society and across culture that people needed to know about, that there was a certain awareness that we could help build that was critical but also say, who is here doing something about it? Who is here saying, you know, solutions are, are what's needed and we want to make a positive change. So I think that being able to have that kind of partner that said that we want to tell this story in all of its truth and it really sort of not spare the, the, the intensity of it um, and the complexity of it. But the point of view that we could help Optum advocate for uh, and, and, and really sort of build messaging behind was one that uh, they could help help to foster solutions and had an approach uh, that was really evidence-based, you know, just a lot of science and facts and, and figures, but really wanted to say there was the potential to help. But also for us to say, you know what? That's a story that that we too feel just as passionate about, that we felt really privileged to be in that type of, of partnership and the way that we could also bring a certain level of just humanity to it and really just tell a deep, a story that just, for me, had a lot of depth and a lot of humanity and just felt really profound and, and important. And I'm certainly not, like, I don't want to congratulate myself for doing it. What What I'm saying is that when you're looking for for pride in your work and something that says if you work really hard, you know you can you can bring value. You can help surface stories that uh, you know that that are worth telling, that help point people in the direction of just greater awareness and 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 solutions. And for me to to see the potential of my own work to be able to do that, I think it's one of the reasons. In fact, I know it's one of the reasons why I'm still in this industry today. I remember that campaign. I was, there's a few things that I, campaigns that stand out to me. That's one of them. Usually it's because I've always thought what's powerful about branded content is what if you could take, you know, like you said, the, the skills and the principles and the values of a newsroom. And then what if you could put budget behind the production of those stories, like real budget? You know that uh, a journalist is, fighting to get, you know, budget to be able to go out on on location and spend time with things. Brand content has this advantage where you there's funding. There's funding for it. It's been set aside. Let's do a really great job of that. And then I also like it when the partnership makes sense. Sometimes I the brand and the publisher are just the right fit. They're just it seems yes. like you know, the Washington yes. Post does rigorous reporting, talks yeah. about issues going on. That makes sense that those two work together. Would that same story make sense on Thrillist? Probably not, right? right? And that's that's fine because, you know, best bars to party in in San Francisco may not make as much sense on the Washington right. Post. There's, there's something for, for everybody within there. 
And I love those campaigns that that it truly makes sense and that the budget feels like it's going towards something of value for this audience that is interested in it. And I think we all want to make a difference in whatever way. And I've been in advertising a long time. And it's not often that you get to say, I've made a positive difference in the world. Usually you're saying, you know, I've helped get people to pay $300 for jeans, right? So <laughs> it's, it's sometimes tough. So I, I like that example. And you know what? For those who are out there, if you can convince me to pay a couple hundred dollars for jeans, like you, you've done a great job. So I don't want to, like, you know, uh, de- you know, devalue that. But I mean, the other thing that, that I want to say is when we're in production and, and working with our partners to produce content, I mean, for those of us that have been in it, we, we know the level of work that it entails, the level of collaboration the level of communication, the calls and going to, you know, when we did this, uh, going to shoots and and the revisions and just, you know, these are things that don't happen overnight. Some, you know, sometimes they happen in a matter of weeks. Sometimes they take months. So when you're going to be working with a partner that intensely and on that type of timeline and on that type of really just rich storytelling, you need just not only like a creative alignment, but like a value alignment. You know, you have to really be sort of driven by a similar mission. So I think for us, um, you know, when we, we f- are, are working with our partners and the sense of mission and the sense of values and the sense of knowing that the knowing the potential of, of what we do and how it can really reach people, perhaps shift perception, get people to reconsider things that they were thinking before. When we have that type of just alignment, it, it comes through in the work. So really us, you know, saying when we work with our partners, this is the story that only we could tell together. This is not, you know, a type of storytelling and a type of uh, content development that that rolls off a conveyor belt. It really is a sense of what we've made together could not happen with any other any other group in any other way at any other time. That what we've made is is, is special and it's going to resonate and reach and engage people. You know, and there is the very sort of <coughs> real world consideration for brands. At least they need ROI. You know, they, they, they need value. They need to be able to go to, to their teams and say, um, you know, when, when we measure the, the value and the effectiveness of the work, we're seeing the numbers, we're seeing the performance, uh, we're seeing, you know, audience engagement, we're seeing, um, you know, activity on social. I mean, we report very, very heavily on, on what we do, you know, and, and we take that level of accountability very, very seriously, but part of the way that that we work together and and that value that comes later on down the line, I think one of the great ways it starts is with alignment of values and alignment of mission. And with, uh, actually, I like that you touched on, at some point you have to report back to this client, hey, here's your ROI on this. And in most forms of advertising, it's fairly easy. It's impressions and clicks. It doesn't matter if it's a display ad or a TV commercial. I mean, it really comes down to something that you can just say this many people were exposed to it and this many people clicked on it. I've always found with branded content, there's a lot more nuances in what success looks like. Have you found like a silver bullet metric that where you can just say, you know, we did a hundred campaigns this year 
here they are all are in a list and we can rank them accordingly or or is it still you know this somewhat complicated sophisticated way of reporting what value came back from a program every project every campaign that we embark on the first conversation we have the first one or two questions in the conversation are from us to our partners is how do you measure success what are your KPIs? The way you measure success is the way that we will measure success. So we're, we're very conscious of that. So everything we do once we have that information um, in terms of content development is really working to be optimized and in the service of, uh, in the service of those KPIs. The way that we make the content, the way that we distribute the content is all, is all in the, the service of that. So, you know, as I was saying before, you know, making sure that all of our partners feel listened to. There are learnings that we take from every campaign, right? Learnings that, that, that come from everything about how people engage with certain formats, about the word count that, it, that is sort of optimal, about the placement of a video uh, uh, on the page, you know, everything from, you know, the loftiest big idea stuff down to the most granular elements of creative development. There's a learning in, in all of that. So we look across everything that we've done. We look across everything that we've done and say, what's the learning? What's the key takeaway? What's the thing that we did really well? What's the thing that we might want to pivot on next time? So that set of learnings, they just get, you know, that the arsenal just kind of grows and gets richer and gets richer every day. So every conversation we have, we're all sort of bringing that arsenal along with us. And so we're making recommendations and in creative development. It really is with those, those learnings in mind. But to say, I, I would just hesitate because I don't want anyone to think that we sort of come in with our, with our minds made up, you know, or we sort of come in with, you know, a, a templated approach. I mean, every partner that we have, like, I'm so focused on listening to them again with a deep sense of learning from all the other things that I've done, but really listening to what their objectives are. Every story is a little bit different. Every story just has, uh, you know, a slightly different hook, a little bit of a, you know, a different nuance. Like the DNA is just a little bit different and everything. So I just want to be sensitive to that. And I never want to come into a conversation with a partner with my mind made up about how it's going to go or what they need. Um, or what we can provide, it really is the the art of listening. And especially when ROI is so important. And especially the other thing that I've neglected to say is that the people that we are working with, our agency partners, our brand partners, they are so sharp. <laughs> they are so smart. And they are so discerning um, that really, you know, we would never do this but the art, uh, you know, or any effort that we would expend in just trying to, you know, take the easy way out or cut a corner, one, it doesn't benefit our relationship. Two, it robs us of insights, you know, and, and things that, that we could learn. And just the minds that are in this industry at this point are just so sharp and so sophisticated about this type of content that you're really having, like, you know, these, these, these really profound conversations on it. And, and you just can't take the easy way out. So unless you're willing to engage on that level and sort of be held to that level of accountability with partners, again, like just find another job. But here <laughs> we're all holding each other to extremely high standards. 
what people are doing now in branded content compared to when I first got into it about five or six years ago is way more sophisticated. Our reliance on data and insights and looking at audience behavior and looking at topics of, of, of reader interest and looking at people, um, looking at how people engage with different <coughs> uh, parts of our, our, our ad tech. Like every single reader, at least for the Washington Post, is we want them to come to our stories, but they also bring a story, right? A set of interests, a set of behaviors, a set of, of things that are really a sense of what's really going to a sense of what's really going to engage them. So for us too, the way that we're in constant conversation with our readers to find out how we can best serve them, I mean, these days, a great idea is about 50 or 60% of the job. So the light bulb goes off, you have a great idea. That's awesome. But unless you have some data or insights to back it up, unless you have some nugget of information that says, this is going to work because this is what I know about my audience, you know, that's the way that we're speaking to each other these days. So just that level of just, you know, sophisticated, smart, intelligent, conversation that's connecting good ideas to insights that's happening a, a lot more now. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad, uh, I'm so glad for it. So again, you know, any attempts to sort of not do that work. I mean, we, we want to do that work, but I think to the question that you were, were asking before, um, I don't think we'd ever think that we were serving our partners well, if we weren't doing all that. You mentioned before that you always wanted to work at a, a startup and a startup to me, is less about business structure. Sometimes it's considered, you know, the type of business structure that it has. But to me, a startup has always been just this blank slate of opportunity. And that's why they fail so often. And some of them are massively successful is because it's all open. But in order for any startup to succeed, it needs a couple things. One, it has to be highly open-minded. So none of the answers are in place or else someone else would have already done it, right? And there's existing business doing. And I think you're saying some of those same things, right? You go into the store, you don't know what it's going to be yet. You go in with an open mind towards what it is you're going to report on, what data you're going to use, which is not the easy path. Like advertising doesn't like everything being different. The industry likes highly repeatable, fit it in a box and scale the hell out of it, right? And that's why I think you find the heads of a lot of branded content studios tend to come from creative backgrounds is because that's the the fact. It's fun working on a unique idea every time. Uh, and then if you can combine it with, you know, some technology and I mean, Washington Post has really made huge leaps from a technology standpoint, even even the signaling of uh, Bezos being the owner. I mean, a tech, the top of the tech world being interested in the media business. I'm sure there's a lot of parts. So I'm curious You've seen a lot of changes over the last five or six years. What do you see? I'm not going to ask you what the future of branded content looks like, but what is the opportunity of branded content over the next five or six years? What right. could it be? Well, I think one of the, the great things that I've been able to see at, at the Washington Post and being a part of WP Brand Studio is the way that the Washington Post has really kind of come to define the modern newsroom or actually redefine the newsroom. Right. So there's just the art of beautiful journalism and, and storytelling. And that's, you know, a critical component of it. But how can you get technology? How can you get emerging creative formats uh, really to organically help advance a story? How do you get data and insights to be a critical, you know, to be a critical part of, of that storytelling so that there's just 
I don't know, when you talk about art and science, or when I talk about art and science, or heart and science, I think that there's something happening at the post that's been happening, that's continuing to happen, that I think is just, it's the present, but it's also in the future. And I think, just to jump back to something that you were saying before, yes, there's creativity and and sometimes bringing a new idea to the table all the time, but there are ways to be efficient as well. Right. So I think one of the things because of the volume of work that we're that, that, that we're doing and just, you know, the level of ideation, the level of conversation and creative development that we have with our partners, you know, is 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 so multi is so multi-layered. Um, that I think looking for efficiencies is something that that we all do. Right. So how do we make our proposals and our, our, you know, the most succinct that they can be? How do we communicate those ideas, even, you know, the, the biggest ones, but in a very succinct, digestible way? How do we make sure that our workflows are always making the use of everyone's time and, 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 and input? And we really look to make the most of everyone's time and to be efficient so that when those efficiencies are happening, and I think when you do that, you almost free yourself up more to always have room for like the big creative, for, for the big creative thinking. So that's just to kind of maybe put a pin on that a little bit. But in terms of, in terms of the, the future, I think that when I look at WP Brand Studio, I think audio is really big. And I think, you know, here I am on a podcast. So yes, uh, you know, I believe in the power of these types of conversations, these types of audio driven conversations. But if I were looking, if I had a crystal ball, I, I would say it 2021 might be a year where we start to see a lot of people start to think, you know, audio, but is it podcast, but podcast plus, you know, and really sort of the, the, the kind of like sonic and sound driven storytelling. If no one else is going to do it, like I want to take that on. Uh, <laughs> that sounds so interesting. I think also video. Now we have a lot of content studios that are that they're in video, and I mean I've seen some just stunning, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous pieces from the team that I work on, as well as as others. And I think some places, you know, in terms of scaling and really seeing what the 2.0 a video is in custom content. Now I say that in a year where we've all been socially distanced. uh, And I think one of the great things that WP Brand Studio has been able to do is to find ways to keep making that type of great engaging video content, but play by the rules, keep it safe, keep it socially distanced, keeping the smallest crews possible. So I, I think in terms of, you know, scaling video or being active, you know, in that area and in that type of work, I think 2021 could be, uh, a year where we really see some some great creative thinking on that, um, and just you know even going deeper on research and insights and the numbers and the facts and the figures and really content uh, content studios at publishers showing that they have the deepest, most comprehensive, most granularly detailed understanding of their audience and working in the service of that audience, I think will be that, you know, that work will, will, will grow and get even, get even better. And then what else? And maybe partnerships. I think, um, you know, one of the things that we're starting to see too, is that a lot of, uh, Publisher studios have great platforms for distribution. They're already, uh, you know, starting great conversations, um, great conversations with with their audience through through their content. But how can the partnerships get even bigger and better than what they are? How can they really start to span 
uh, or continue to expand and span different elements or different teams or different lines of business across the entire, uh, you know, across the entire org. So, you know, we are very much in the, you know, we honor the, the church state divide, but I think also looking at how we can bring more kind of depth to partnership and, and things, uh, just a greater repertoire of things that we could possibly make to, together. I think for a lot of content studios also, they may have certain partners that they've been working with for a couple of years, or maybe, you know, they've created uh, one wave of content and then they've renewed and created, you know, multiple ways of content. So they're kind of in a groove with their relationships, right? So I think in those types of creative relationships, once you really hit that stride and that, and, and that groove and you really know how to talk to each other and you really kind of get each other, all of a sudden the, the, the thinking gets even bigger, right? So um, I, I think at Washington Post Brand Studio, we have a range of partnerships like that where we've been able to just be continuous and ongoing creative partners. Um, so I think that that will naturally just start to look to each other and say, what's our 2.0? What's our 3.0? We, we, we partnered in 2020. What's 2021? So I think just that level of familiarity um, and experiencing, you know, that type of intense creative development together and saying, you know, what, what can we do to evolve it and, and grow it? And I love those types of conversations also because it sort of keeps me honest in terms of making sure that my industry outlook and what I, you know, see to be happening across the industry, that that POV um, is, is very fresh, but also being able to bring it to a partner, you know, that, that we partnered with uh, for a while and saying, hey, let's see what those next steps are together. So I think that's it. I would say not to make you fully accountable for the industry here, but there's a handful of studios uh, WP Brand Studio definitely among a very very small group that that many content studios look to for inspiration. So if uh, if audio is going to be a big thing, it's going to you know over the next couple of years, I would say people are going to look to Beast and WP Brand Studio and and a handful of others to lead that charge. So I'm I mean I'm excited that even though ten year old Denise probably never knew that she was going to right? be. I like that you're. I like that there's creative people in these positions that think like a startup that are willing to take risks in the in the future. It only leads to a, a solid direction for us to go. And and before I let you go, I, because you're you love reading, and because you love words and writing, this is I'm just gonna. This is almost like a personal advice that I want on it. Is we do a book club, as you might know, at Pressboard. And I'm really curious to get what your favorite book is. Oh, my goodness. My favorite book. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, we can go classic. We can go modern. So I think that uh, one of my favorite all-time classics, Invisible Man uh, by Ralph Ellison, um, it just kind of it just kind of breaks my heart. Um, it just breaks my heart every time. Um, I think Octavia Butler, uh, a science, an African-American woman science fiction writer, uh, just kind of blows my mind, uh, blows my mind constantly. On my, uh, on my desk right now, I have uh, Marilyn Robinson. Um, and then I think 
I'm surprisingly okay with with old school, you know. So something like a you know like a Nathaniel Hawthorne. When I think back to all of my great English teachers, um, and probably you know if you talk to someone in creative media and they tell you like who their heroes are, nine out of the ten they're going to name one of their English teachers. Um, and so um, you know I, I can think of my English teachers that brought me books like you know that turned me on to books like Beloved. And I remember taking uh, one English class when I was in tenth grade. And it was about American literature and two books we read for, uh, we read the, the Scarlet Letter and then we read Beloved by Toni Morrison. And it just absolutely blew my mind that these English teachers I had said, you know what, you can take a, like a, a classic, like the Scarlet Letter. And that is, you know, one of the hallmarks of American literature, but so is Toni Morrison. She's also a voice of American literature. So I think not only the, the books, but but the great minds that helped me see those books and helped me see those, um, you know, those pieces of literature in like new and interesting ways. So that's sort of, you know, that's what my English teachers brought me. But I'm, then I'm thinking um, more recently, um, more recently what, what I've read just so much. I mean, Hanya Yanagihara, she's just, she's one of my great heroes right now. And again, that's just uh, every time I pick up one of her books, you know, and they're these like, a sort of 1,000 page, uh, you know, just kind of mind blower. So I'd say that's one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite. I love asking this of people that are like prolific readers when they were children and because you just have so, so many to go off of and so wow. many different facets that I'll, I'm probably just going to ask you to update my Goodreads list. <laughs> by the sounds of it. <laughs> but no, I think it's incredible. I think you, you have a love for stories you have it in your personal life, you're doing it in your career. Uh, and clients in the Washington Post are, are fortunate to have people like you involved with it. So I've, I've loved having you here on the show. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. As you know, we were closely tied to the branded content space. We love seeing great campaigns. Uh, and WP Brand Studio is on, I bet, every top 10 list we've ever done. So keep up the great work and thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, can I just say one more thing? So I am here as just, you know, I, I get to have the beautiful, wonderful, privileged job of being, uh, you know, a representative of WP Brand Studio here. But WP Brand Studio is so much more than me. It is the writers and the program managers and the designers, um, you know, and, 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 and the UX crew and everyone on social and everyone on, you know, in, in analytics. And when they get together, oh my goodness, when they are in a room, magic happens. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get back to all being in the same physical room at some point in the future. But I'm we'll in do the it virtual room. Room. I did in the virtual room, but you know, when, when we get together and when we just, you know, when we really dig deep and just go at it, it is awesome. So I'm so happy to work with them. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>